Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back to Plastic Science. I'm your host, Eliza Brett. This week, I offer a few more minutes of escapism for you. Maybe to start off a walk or a drive, or maybe just to sit and put your brain on pause for a few minutes. So let's get into our topic of today, and that's fat. It's a, it's a unique thing to give you time and attention to, to a podcast about fat. So off the mark, I'll thank you for tuning in. And I'm going to lead us off today with appetite. Our appetite is controlled by a hormone called leptin. So after we've eaten enough, it's leptin that tells our brains we're not hungry anymore. It's a messenger of satiety. If you're satiated by your food, leptin fires and you lose the hunger. Leptin comes from the Greek leptos, meaning thin, literally. So leptin encourages us to stop eating. In obesity, you become less sensitive to leptin signaling, meaning you can't tell when you're full anymore and generally just keep eating. Your leptin is made by fat cells, by adipocytes. And so you have to have a level of fat on your body to begin with for leptin signaling to take place. Grant. The thing is, leptin signaling is interlinked with estrogen production. Estrogen is the female sex hormone, while testosterone is the male one. It's really very critical that a girl approaching puberty has enough fat on her body for proper leptin signaling, which will in turn kickstart the estrogen signaling because fat in women is a hormone regulator for all of our lives. If there is not enough fat on a prepubescent girl, she simply won't enter puberty until she gains a bit of weight. If you see young female gymnasts who've been training since childhood and who are at the top of their league age 15, 16 or 17 and look prepubertal, it's because hormonally speaking they are. They've never had the body fat to begin the hormonal signaling because they've been training so hard all their young lives. That's not me speculating either. A great deal of research has gone into this. Up to 80% of female gymnasts and athletes have a delayed start to their period. The truth of this, of the power of fat, is also seen when grown women lose a lot of weight and become incredibly thin. Their periods can stop until they gain some weight again and then the cycles return. I'm speaking from experience for that one. And in menopause, women often experience weight gain and that's linked to having lower levels of circulating estrogen. So fat in women has a global impact over our entire lives, and that's critical to remember. It's almost like an organ, honestly, with the function that it has for women, not to mention the energy storage, protective and insulative roles it plays too. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that men and women's fat look different, behave differently. It's really wild how one tissue type can differ so much between the sexes. Women are designed to have more fat than men. For baby growing purposes, men can have 1-2% to of body fat and be just fine, but it's recommended that women don't go below 10% fat, rather to stay around 20. Another difference between the genders is fat storage location. In women, the fat gathers subcutaneously or just under the skin, giving the gentle curves and or rolls, while in men the fat can collect behind the abdominal wall, behind the ab muscles. And when enough of it gathers, it gives the taut beer belly effect. The thing is, though, the fat in the men isn't just randomly floating around. 
Instead, it settles around the guts, around the organs. It's called visceral fat, and it's much more of a health risk compared to subcutaneous fat. It's why men are far more prone to heart disease, because too much fat coating the internal organs stresses the system very much. Cellulite is something experienced only in female fat, not male. An explanation for why women get cellulite and men don't, I saw on Instagram recently. It was two pictures, cross sections of skin from men and women, like a side-by-side -side comparison. Now I'm overly sensitive to medicine and biology being shown on Instagram or peddled by those who don't fully understand what it means. So I did a deep dive and luckily this time they weren't too far off the mark. Allow me to explain. You don't see children with cellulite. <laughs> it affects grown women, but it's not starting at age 50 or 60. It's more like mid-20s. In the medical world, cellulite is referred to as lipodystrophy. In other words, degeneration of fat tissue. But mid-20s is very young to be having tissue degeneration, right? When the fat around the upper thighs and posterior area hits your mid-20s or 30s, it starts to get a bit faulty. That's just how it is. There is some lymph, some fluid stored among the fat cells. There's fibrosis, like scarring, and sclerosis, which is a hardening of the connective tissue. So we've many irregular points of tension and pressure underneath the skin. Women's skin has collagen connections straight down to the muscle, tethering the skin like a tent, dividing the fat tissue and dimpling the skin up above. Cellulite is basically like putting a tarpaulin over a forest and you have to secure it down in the earth between the trees with ropes that go straight into the earth perpendicularly. An aerial view of that covered forest is going to look really indented and irregular. Meanwhile, men's collagen is in a kind of a crisscross meshwork pattern that can diffuse the tension evenly across the overlying skin. And because the tension is shared across the skin, there's no dimpling. Aside from cellulite, another really lovely name they've come up with this is orange peel syndrome. Yeah. Regarding the classic location of cellulite, the butt and upper thighs, it's been written about that prolonged periods of sitting reduce blood flow over time, leading to cellulite. But that's not proven. It's just an article you might happen upon. So, women have a different collagen architecture to men. And whenever there's fat around the butt or upper thighs, which is generally always, it can be dimpled. 80 to 90% of women have it. 80 to 90! It isn't even linked to obesity. It's just any amount of fat. Look to the person on your left. Now, look to the person on your right. All three of you <laughs> probably have cellulite. <laughs> That's completely inaccurate. Cellulite is so normal, and yet there's a huge market for its removal. I get it. People don't like how it looks. And thanks to social media, we're all subjected to egg-smooth arses all year round. Treatments for cellulite mostly involve lasers. Lasers shot into the skin, designed to weaken and break up the collagen tethering the skin down. While it might help a bit, there's no method that will totally eliminate cellulite. Researching for this episode, I got lost down a Google search hole about how to get rid of cellulite. And let me tell you, the amount of products and clinics using the word renaissance is just wild. 
I don't know how that can legally be possible at this stage anymore. And I also really don't know what they're trying to mean by it. Something new, perhaps? Something fresh? The word renaissance means rebirth. And at the time, it represented a reflection on the pure art form and true beauty of the human body. The art of the Renaissance period involved dreamy, curvaceous, healthy-looking nude women. Larger women were desirable, not only because their weight implied wealth, but they were realistic, healthy, and were considered beautiful, sexy, not fat, but full-figured, capable of childbearing. After all, our evolutionary programming is to spot partners that look like they can procreate. There is a painting by Rubens. It's called Venus Before a Mirror, finished in 1614. In it, there's a nude woman, her back to us, looking into a mirror, which shows us her serene facial expression. There's a definite texture to her very realistic fat around her hips and lower back. It's dimpled, it's accurate in location. There is another detail to this painting, though. In the top right of the scene stands a black woman, a handmaid, people think, to the white woman. She's gazing down at Venus and holding Venus's blonde hair. The face of the handmaid has patches of lighter colour around her eyes, mouth and chin. She also has a streak of white hair at the top of her head. And it is said that this is the first artistic depiction of vitiligo, when skin and hair lose pigmentation, which absolutely solidifies Rubens as a truth-teller. So the irony of these clinics in 2021 offering Renaissance treatments for cellulite couldn't be farther from what the Renaissance actually meant, showing the real human body in a celebratory, naturalistic and anatomically correct way. All right, I'll draw the line there for now. You know that moment when the professor finally brings the lecture to a close in a similar way and everyone breathes a sigh of relief? Yeah, that's what I don't want. <laughs> I hope this has offered some distraction and interest for you. I loved making this podcast this week. We covered gymnastics, cellulite and the Renaissance. I hope you enjoyed it too. I'll be back next week, bleating into the mic with a topic as of yet unknown. Until then, parent yourselves, stay healthy and stay well rested.